This is Seattle Sports Diaries Podcast. Now, here is your host, Mike, and the rest of the SSD gang. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Seattle Sports Diaries. I am your gracious host, Mike, and I am joined today in this first segment by a really cool guest, uh, Chris O'Day, who is a Mariner Mojo host and site expert on Soto Mojo Fan Sighted. Chris, pleasure to have you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on here. Anytime I can go anywhere and talk Mariners, it's always going to be a good time. Yeah, no problem. Uh, for everybody wondering, yes, this is not a video podcast today. This is just an audio podcast, unfortunately, even though that we are live streaming technically. But uh, the reason why that we are just doing audio only is I'm actually out of the state. I am not in the state of Washington. I have actually left the state of Washington just for a couple of days just to kind of get away from everything, kind of relax, be in my own mindset. And I feel like that's actually a really good plan. And I'm not going to lie, Chris, I got a cooler full of beer, or technically a fridge full of beer, a dock outside, and fish ready to be caught. So I'm definitely ready for that one. <laughs> that sounds like an awful time right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, first things first, uh, for everybody wondering, we are actually going to be keeping an eye on the Seattle Mariner game, by the way. I got it right here on the stream, so don't worry about that. But uh, Chris, the, the big talk over the past couple days has been or first of all i do need to ask you this what do you think of the music man is it it's kind of relaxing isn't it yeah it's nice chill music just kind of nice vibing music definitely i'm just glad i didn't choose uh the uh the feeding the ducks option i want to play that one real quickly that is just terrible i'm sorry <laughs> sounds more like so, old music exactly all righty chris so let's go ahead and get into uh all this uh mariners talk of course tonight the seattle mariners playing the game two of the houston astros series against the astros last night unfortunately a four to two loss and tonight it doesn't get any easier because we got to face justin verlander and why is it that every single freaking series that the mariners seem to play the astros they always have to go against this guy it's it's so hilarious like they just set it up there that way like hmm, how can we make verlander face the mariners at least five times this year all right that a rotation exactly but the you know a big thing about uh about the mariners though this past for this week or for the next couple days is the trade market i mean the trade deadline is approaching we have um three no we have four days four days until the trade deadline and <clears throat> excuse me all the talk seems to be surrounding Juan Soto. And that's the big thing that I think a lot of people are also looking at is can the Mariners land Juan Soto? I know MLB Network last night, they did a mock trade with the Angels. And I want to bring that up to you because that's a, that's kind of an interesting little mock trade that they did because I'm saying no to it. 
And the mock trade that MLB Network posed was that the Seattle Mariners would trade for Shohei Otani. And in return, the Angels get Emerson Hancock, George Kirby, Harry Ford, Noelle Marte, and Kyle Lewis. I'm I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna be truthful with you, Chris. I am saying absolutely fuck no to that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm no. The, I'm the exact same. I am, yeah, no, but I, I I'm saying fuck no to that because first of all, that is a terrible trade. You're. You're willing to give up. Well, again, I know it's I know it's a mock trade, but you're willing to give up a really good starting pitcher in George Kirby, who is a control pitcher too. He he controls his own really well, which is a, a big time gift. And then you gonna trade away the number one prospect in your organization, along with the number two along with Emerson. Now, here's the thing. I, I believe that Emerson Hancock is going to be traded. I do believe that Emerson Hancock will eventually get traded. Um, but this is just a this is just a no from me because um, <clears throat> first off, you know, the Mariners do need pitching, but they also need a bat. And I'm sorry, I just don't think Shohei Otani would be that guy because even though that he can, even though that he can both hit and pitch, it just doesn't solve the problem. You know why I like I think it's too much to give up also. But a big mm-hmm. reason I wouldn't want to do it is I don't want to give the Angels a bunch of guys to stock their team because they're so inept at doing it themselves. Why help them out with that? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> you know, the fact that MLB actually brought that up is a little laughable because I mean, I don't think I don't think the Mariners would. I don't think Jerry Depoto would ever take that trade. Now, um, the question that I think a lot of people have is, of course, Juan Soto. What are you willing to give up for Juan Soto? And honestly, you know, if we're talking about trading for Juan Soto, give up Noel V. Marte, give up Emerson Hancock, give up. I, I'm I'm going to say you can't give up. Um, you can't give up Edwin Arroyo. Either one of those guys are, are the out man. I don't know which one is because Noelvi Marte, I believe, is scheduled to play next year for the Mariners. Because if the Mariners can give up like Kelnick, Marte, even Brash, Hancock, one of the Gonzalez's, and like uh, like a lower level pitcher like uh, Bryce Miller or something. If you can give up guys like that and stay out of the majors to get Soto, then I'm all for it. Hmm. But it's you know, someone. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's keeping two of your top four. Oh yeah. 100%. I mean, there, there's people right now who are saying, you know, Oh, we, we, I would trade Cal Raleigh. And my, first of all, my reaction is why, why would you trade one? Perhaps one of the best starting young catchers in baseball, and then you don't have a catcher because yeah, honestly, like, look at, look, well, look at the catching depth that the Mariners have. You have Luis Terenz as your backup. I mean, first of all, Luis Terenz, I, I'm being honest, you know, when Mitch Haniger comes up, hopefully, hopefully we see the DFA or optioning of Abraham Toro because Abraham Toro should not be on a major league roster. I'm saying that right now. And 
you know, if I'm Jerry Depoto, I would have I would have DFA'd Luis Torrens a long time ago, and I would have honestly given Brian O'Keefe, who's been tearing the cover off the ball down in AAA, a chance. And it, it, it honestly baffles me sometimes of the fact that Jerry Depoto doesn't have faith in some of these guys or just keeps giving these guys who are known to not produce. He keeps giving them chances. And, you know, some of it may fall on Scott's service. Some of it may fall on uh, Jerry Depoto, but it's just why give these guys chances? Because has did Abraham Toro do well last year? Yes. But the big thing that I'm have a problem with is he's had chances this year. He can't do it. And Luis Torrens last year was nothing but a fluke. And kind of Torrens and both like that. And but really was a first half or first month or those that got from the Astros good. Since then he hasn't been good. And really you took the O'Keefe name right out of my mouth because I was going to bring that up. And I've been clamoring for him to get a shot, like even since the end of last year, because he's he's not a young guy. He kind of just seems like he deserves a chance. And he's been doing well in the minors through last year and this year. And it really does seem like the right move to send Torrens down, let him try and figure it out, bring O'Keefe up and see if he can be a serviceable MLB backup. Because when a guy's hitting like that down in the minors, why wouldn't you give him a chance? Yeah, exactly. Uh, sorry, I had to turn the music off. I've I kept hearing you go in and out, so it might have been the music. I don't know if it was, but um, no, you're absolutely right on that on that standpoint. But you know, <clears throat> you know, people have been saying, "Oh, let's give Jared Kelnick a call up." But we we had uh, we had Jason Churchill on the podcast a couple weeks ago, and. He was saying, no, that's not a good idea. Just let him be down. Let him stay down in AAA. Let him get those at bats. Bring him up in September. And he was also saying that, you know, Kelnick probably will not compete for a starting job next year, which I'm fine with because I still believe that Kelnick needs some time to develop. And it's, you know, it's really difficult to see. Kelnick go through that because you know he's never he's never failed in his entire career this was really the first time he's ever failed but really you know I don't know what happened last year during the last bit of the of the season he was absolutely he was actually doing really great he was doing he was on fire he was hitting the ball well he was seeing the ball well and the thing that the Mariners told him to do is basically go down to AAA go have some fun and you know, he needs to cut down on the strikeouts down there. That's a big thing because he's, he strikes out a lot. He needs to work on that strikeout to walk ratio. That's the big thing. Um, but you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I feel like Mitch Haniger could actually be back when the Yankee series starts. I feel like Mitch Haniger might be back here in a couple days. And so I'm, I'm, I'm saying, you know, leave Kelnick down there because honestly, if you were to give me an option saying, who do you want to pinch hit uh, Sam Haggerty or Jared Kelnick? I'm choosing Haggerty every day. Yeah, I can see that Haggerty's proven this year that he deserves to stay up. And with Kelnick, it's, you got to remember like he turned 23 a couple weeks ago. I think he's still super young. You even look at MLB's top prospects. 
And there's a handful of guys in the top 25 who are 23 years old. It's not like Kelnick's passed his prime as a prospect or anything like that. If they never would have called him up in the first place, he'd be sitting in the top five right now in the prospects for all of baseball. So you just got to give him a chance, work on that strikeout rate, like you said. I think he's still sitting at, what, 30% for a strikeout rate in Tacoma. If he can cut that down, that'll show a lot of improvement. Like we know he can get a hold of the ball, hit it far when he gets it. He's got the speed. He started playing better defense, it looked like, but just giving him a chance to really figure it out, get those reps in, because for a guy that young, he missed a lot of time with all the COVID shutdowns and things like that. Uh, growing up in Wisconsin, not a lot of time to play baseball year-round there. So getting him used to playing baseball year-round against great competition, it's just going to take a while. So the development for him might be a little slower than it would be for a guy from California, Texas, Florida. And I agree that you should keep him down all year. Let Hanniger come up, get back, get reps in. Let Haggerty be that utility guy. He's proved it. Hustle doubles, stealing bases, good defense. And he just seems like he fits in with the team right now with the mentality, with the swag. And he's just fun to watch. So I think leaving Kelnick down, having Hanniger up is kind of the way to go right now. Definitely. Uh, game just started. Julio with a nice uh, beat it out uh, type of error on the throw. But unfortunately, Ty France just flew out to Kyle Tucker, which uh, I really wish the Mariners would really stop doing, you know, two pitches and then they're out. That's not that's not really. <laughs> I, I you know I love the I love the aggressiveness by the Mariners I, I really do love the aggressiveness by the Mariners but they're when you're when you're when you are facing a guy like Justin Verlander you have to you got to get that pitch count up because you need to get him out early um but you're absolutely right on the uh on the on the end of uh Kelnick's staying down there because he does fit it he does fit in with that swagger down there and it's, you know, it's good. It's beneficial for him uh, because, you know, I don't know. I don't, I, we don't know when Kelnick's going to be back up. I, I, I want to say he's going to be back up probably in September when the September call-ups happen. But if the Mariners are making a playoff run, then I say you end Kelnick's season. I know that's, I know that's a very risky thing to do, but when you're in a playoff run, you cannot afford to call up a guy who's just going to give you really bad at bats. I mean, that's just my thought on that one. And I think it, it goes along with that. And also with, he's faced a lot of pressure with the Mariners this early and this young in his career to really prove himself. And it's just too much too soon, I think. And for a guy that's came up and struggled and came up and struggled to bring him up in September, like he's going to feel that pressure again, even if it is as a fourth outfielder, pinch hitter type thing, he's going to be up there really wanting to prove himself. And I think he would be over swinging, over anxious, over aggressive. So. Nope. Did we lose it? Did we lose you, Chris? Can you hear me? Oh, yep. There we go. Uh, sorry, you were actually cutting out, cutting out on that one. Uh, so uh, repeat what you just said. Um, I just think having Kelnick stay in AAA at the end of the season is the right move. He's been under a lot of pressure. They've asked a lot of him, and I think he'd be trying to prove himself. And I just don't think it would go well because we've seen that a couple times. So when the AAA season ends, I think you're making the right call by saying that's the end of his season. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there there, there is guys that deserve a September call-up, no doubt. But, I mean... 
is Kalanick a September call up? I would say so, but you know, if you're in the midst of a playoff run, which the Mariners are right now, and and I look, I really hate to say it at this point because I don't want to jinx anything. I really don't want to jinx anything. But the Mariners are in they are in prime position to make a really deep playoff run because here's the thing. You have two more games, two more games against the Astros left after today. Then you have to play the Yankees for what? Seven games. And that's it. You have a cakewalk. You, I mean, people don't like, I know people don't want to hear this, but the Mariners have a very easy road to the end of the season. And it's going to be very beneficial to this team if they can go out and win series after series after series, you don't need a 14 game winning streak that first of all, that 14 game winning streak was incredible, but that's not what the Mariners need right now. You just need, you need to find out, you need to find a way to split the series with the Astros. If that's an, if that's possible at this point, but also you need to, as soon as you're done with the Yankees, you need to, win series after series after series you can it's you know and especially in teams who you're going to face like the cleveland guardians first of all i hate that name <laughs> <laughs> i hate that name it, to me they're to me they're still the cleveland indians i'm sorry they're, they're still the cleveland yep. indians but but anyway no you're going to have seven games against the cleveland guard cleveland guardians and it's going to be you have to win. You have to win five. Out, you have to win five out of seven in that one because you got to take. The, you got to take those series against the, against uh, the Guardians, and you have to maintain that control in the wild card because, you know, the Mariners don't have to play the Rays anymore. The the Mariners don't have to play the Blue Jays anymore. But who do the Blue Jays and Rays have to play? They have to play their division a lot, and that's going to be huge for the Mariners because if they can somehow just keep climbing in the standings whenever those teams lose you know it's going to be it's going to be huge and i think what you mentioned about just winning series after series is the way to do it just hey let's look at this three game series let's focus on this right now because we kind of saw that last year is they'd get into these series against lesser teams and it really did seem like they were looking ahead too far and they'd like series against arizona or someone like that so yeah you should win these series so that's what it should be about this year is hey three games here let's go two and one again four game series let's go two and two or three and one let's just keep going 500 splitting series winning series making sure we're not losing any because like you said with the al east even the al central you got these teams they're gonna have to play each other a lot and they're gonna beat up on each other and if you're slowly winning series after series and a couple of these teams are beating up on each other all you're doing is playing baseball at a 550 clip maybe even a 580 clip but you're gonna be gaining games on these other teams and hopefully staying in that playoff hunt or even kind of climbing up the standings into that number one spot. Yeah. And again, it's nobody said making the playoffs is easy. I'm not going to lie. Nobody said the playoffs getting into the playoffs is easy. And it's, I mean, right now the Mariners have the hardest start to the second half by playing, playing teams like the Astros playing teams like the Yankees. That is not easy because look where, whether Mariner fans want to admit it or not, this is this is the uh this is this is the bottom line is the Astros and the Yankees they are out of our league bottom line Yeah the Mariners are good the Astros and the Yankees are great 
Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's really tough. By the way, I just got your message on the private chat. No worries. So uh, last five minutes, I got you here, man. Let's go, let's go ahead and talk about the trade. So because this is something that I think the Mariners should do. Um, first of all, you need to go out and get another starter because uh, George Kirby is getting up on those innings and he's not going to go past 100 innings, they said this year. So you need another starter. And right now, the 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 one guy that that I'm looking at the one guy that I'm looking at uh, for starter wise that I believe that the Mariners should take a chance on is Luis Castillo because the Reds are willing to sell low. They are willing to sell low with Luis Castillo. Now, when it comes to getting a bat, I am not sure who the Mariners should go after because you want to look, you know, if if it if it comes down to giving up prospects, do it. But Jerry Depoto is definitely going to look to try to give up as least amount of good prospects as he can. But at this point, you need to be in win mode now. And you if if it comes to giving up top prospects, give them up. Bottom line. And I kind of agree with you. Like Castillo does seem like the top target. Depoto's talked about it. I think Rosenthal said that. The Mariners are like the top one in on him. And with, we got like Castillo, Lopez, Montas, and Scooball all supposedly on the market for top pitchers or top pitchers with lots of control left. And to me, it seems like if you can strike at the right time, I don't know if it's first or last and set the market or do it first. Say they trade with Castillo and the Reds before anyone else makes a trade. And it's like, oh, they kind of got a deal by getting this guy early. Well, then that leaves extra room to go get a bat also. And one of the names I've been looking at because he's just a rental is um, Bell from the Nationals. Like, yeah, the Mariners already have a first baseman. Yeah, they got some guys who can play DH. But you know what? Bell is the guy who's hitting, what, over 300 with 12, 15 home runs. He's going to get on base. He's going to hit homers. And putting a guy like that in the middle of the lineup, even if he is a rental, if you don't have to give up a lot, guess what? We can find spots for like Frazier and Moore and Haggerty to fill in because they're not going to provide the same type of offense that those that Bell is. So if you can get that early deal in for Castillo without giving up a ton, maybe the the Reds trade they made in the offseason gives them a little bit of a headway with making a deal. It's like, hey, we did one before, let's do one again. And then they go out and snag a guy like Bell. All of a sudden you're looking at a nasty top of the rotation. Kirby can move into the bullpen as like a – low usage couple inning guy at a time and then you put bell in the middle of the lineup especially when like Hanager comes back lewis is healthy all of a sudden that lineup looks really really nice yeah and i've and i got a feeling you know if you add those two, if you add those two those two uh guys in castillo and in bell not only are you going to get production from the starting rotation but you're also going to get even more production out of that starting lineup who has trouble scoring runs against teams like the astros against teams like you know, really good teams, but you know, I think the Mariners are averaging a little over, I think three and a half runs per game this year. I think that's what it is or the, no, they're averaging a little over four and a half. So if you can get Mitch Hanniger back, if you can get uh, Josh Bell into that lineup, you know, you might be able to raise that all the way up to five runs per game. So, I mean, it may be just a half run uh, jump, but I mean, it's, it'll be worth it. Oh, definitely. Cause one of the big stats you see with the Mariners is when they score three or less or when they score four or more. And it's something like when they score four or more runs, they're like a 750 win percentage or even better than that. But when it's three or less, they're awful. It's like mm-hmm. they're, either, they're either the Yankees or they're the athletics. Like 
those are the two teams that show up. So if you're getting that extra half run, it could make a huge difference. Definitely. All righty, Chris. Um, I'm going to go ahead and let you get going, but I appreciate you coming on and talking some Mariners with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Have a great night. No problem, man. Hope to have you back on soon. Of course. Have a good one, man. You too. There you go. Uh, Chris O'Day from Soto Mojo. Uh, it is a fan-sided uh, site. Very well known. And I'm going to go ahead and say this. They are better than Lookout Landing. Way better than Lookout Landing. Uh, the Seattle Sports Diaries account is actually blocked by Lookout Landing, which, honestly, who cares? <laughs> Seriously, who cares about Lookout Landing? I mean, it's just... Uh, it's it's funny because the reason why we got blocked was uh, the previous admin for the Seattle Sports Diaries account was tweeting to them multiple multiple times and we list and I actually listened to a couple of their podcasts and I was just like are you freaking kidding me and it's wow I mean it's just <laughs> Lookout Landing's been around for a while I'll, I'll give them that they've been around for a while but it's just the fact that they are so cynical and are still beloved by some people is unbelievable and not to mention the head editor, I believe, of uh, Lookout Landing. She's a Padres fan. She is a Padres fan, and she once called the Mariners a very racist organization. And we all know what happened there, but it's just, really, you're a Padres fan who is dedicated to a Mariners site. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm just sorry. You know, I... I don't know. Uh, either way, getting back on to this, you know, we, you know, I would love for the Mariners to actually go out and get a guy like Luis Castillo because that is someone you desperately need. You, I mean, you just, you need him. And Josh Bell is also, and I think you, and I think if you were to go out and get Josh Bell, I think you could get him for, I think you might be able to get him for cheap. I don't know. I think you could actually get Josh Bell for cheap out on the market, you know, depending on what the Nationals want for him, because I don't know. If, you, if you're going to go out and get Josh Bell and you want, and you want to probably give up maybe just one or two prospects, low prospects, by the way, not, 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 not high prospects, but definitely low prospects. You know, I I would not fault the Mariners for taking that chance. I would definitely not fault the Mariners for taking that type of chance. Because, like I just said, the Mariners are in win-now mode. They need to be in win-now mode. Jerry DePoto needs to be in win-now mode. Because you, you just can't. You can't have a team like this, like this Mariners team who's in prime position to possibly make a playoff run. And you cannot let these guys waste that opportunity. And people would say, oh, we wasted it last year. No, we didn't. Mariners didn't waste it last year. The Mariners got lucky. Okay, I'm being honest with you. If the Mariners would have had this team last year through the whole season, you make the playoffs. 
the Mariners would have made the playoffs last year if they would have had this team put together. Last year was just a big, big time lucky, lucky break. But you're not always going to get those lucky breaks. You really are not going to get those lucky breaks at all because it is, you know, baseball is a weird game. And <laughs> the funny thing is, is that, of course, uh, when I say baseball is a weird game, um, you know, uh, the the Oakland Athletics swept the Houston Astros. I don't know how they did it. Baseball is just a very, very weird game because, I mean, who saw that coming? Can anybody say who saw that coming? Nobody saw that coming. Because nobody is expecting the Oakland Athletics, the last place Oakland Athletics, to sweep the Houston Astros. Probably the best team in baseball. Nobody was expecting that. And if anybody says, I knew they were going to sweep them, you are lying your ass off. <laughs> because it's just, you just could not expect that. There's no way anybody could have could have seen that one coming. Because it was just, it was such, it was such a weird coincidence that it, that, that happened. Because uh, it's, I don't know. I mean, it it's it's just very weird. Just very, 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 very weird that the Oakland Athletics swept the Houston Astros. Period. But uh, getting back on, uh, uh, now we got uh, my our good friend K-Hart. He is in here. What's going on, dude? What is going on, party people? Unfortunately, today is no picture day, so you can't see us. Call me John Cena. <laughs> well, I'm actually out of the state. Oh, where are you? I am. I am in a. I'm not saying where I'm at because uh, I'm not gonna lie. I'm enjoying the hell out of where I'm at right now. Oh, he had, some... he had Area 51, y'all. That's what that. Is. <laughs> All right, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm a uh, gonna be enjoying a couple days to myself. Uh, gonna be enjoying uh, a fridge full of beer, a dock, and fish ready. Ready to be caught. Okay. All right. Oh yeah. All right. But, uh, not a lot of hockey stuff to talk here, but we do have this to talk about. Okay. And I love what you said right there on your name. But the I, I couldn't uh, think the, of nothing funny. I'm sorry, y'all. I couldn't <laughs> think of nothing funny. It's not it's not that funny to be honest with you, but not really. No. Really is not that funny. But no, I mean it's uh it's interesting because I wasn't expecting this. I, I don't think a lot of people were expecting Adidas to say that they are not going to be making jerseys past the 23-24 season. But I think this might be a really good opportunity for companies like CCM to possibly bring back that classic made type of jersey like in the 90s. Yeah. Or this could be an opportunity for Nike maybe to get into the hockey world because... They do the they do uh, the Olympic jerseys, but they don't do any other jerseys. But this is also another cha- uh, time for like starter to come out and possibly start making jerseys because I think the two best hockey jerseys material wise was CCM and Starter. Yeah. Uh, so CCM 
Um, Whoa, you just, yeah, you, you actually exit, you actually just exit out of the podcast for a second. I don't know what happened. Uh, oh. Repeat what you were just saying. Oops. Um, okay, so CCM is started with two brands that did jerseys back in the day. I actually have a starter uh, brand New York Rangers jersey that I, I got from one of my plugs uh, on Twitter. Uh, it, it, it's really comfortable. I really like it a lot. Uh, so I could definitely see one of those companies coming back. Now, I tweeted this. I know it's not going to happen, but I would absolutely love if the Jordan brand could make some jerseys. Oh, my Whoa. That'd be kind of crazy. <laughs> I ain't going to lie. That is definitely an interesting concept. I mean, could you actually imagine Air Jordan hockey jerseys? That would be the I think that would be the coolest thing ever. But the question is, is what's going to be the price for them? <laughs> I'm, well, okay. That, that's a fair point. But we're already paying upwards of like $200. So like, I don't see it going that much higher. Like maybe $250 max. But we're, okay. just keep in mind, we're already paying so much money. Like just to get a, a, a jersey by itself is like $200. But then to add somebody's name on it, depending on the player... Is like three hundred dollars, maybe more. So it's already expensive. So to say, oh, don't make it Jordan because it's expensive. That doesn't make sense because they're already pricey. Yeah, but I'm I'm not gonna lie. So I have a Paul Korea Mighty Duck uh, Mighty Ducks CCM jersey, and I'm not gonna lie. It's first of all the the arms are like the the like the sleeves are very baggy, but they made it to where it fits pads and. I'm not gonna lie it's so comfortable it is uber uber comfortable to wear so my heart is out on ccm and starter to possibly make a return to the nhl because this is a big big opportunity it's a and not to mention you know if you were if ccm or starter was to come back start making jerseys again make them the way they used to not only are you making a fortune by bringing back classic type of jersey style uh, wear jerseys, or excuse me, let me rephrase that, sweaters. They're, they're fucking sweaters. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, it, people love vintage stuff. That's yes. that's the best, that's the funniest thing. And, it, and especially with us being born in the 90s, especially with people born in the 80s, they love that vintage CCM starter stuff because it was so... It was so comfortable to wear. Oh, absolutely. And it was and it was so breathable and it was just like, wow, why did they stop making them? And it was just and it, and it all became just a marketable thing. First of all, I think that the Reebok jerseys are some of the worst worst made jerseys out there. <laughs> Next to Adidas. You know what? I'm looking at my jersey collection. I actually don't think I have Reebok. I've got a couple Reebok ones. Yeah, I don't think I have Reebok. I think I, I know I have CCM, I know I have Adidas, and I know I've started. Actually, you know what? I might have one Reebok that I bought on eBay for like $50. One. But otherwise, everything else is Adidas or uh, the aforementioned. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that this is a, a huge opportunity for the NHL to really do... They, they, they really need... for Because... I'm going to go ahead and say this. They can't Cleveland guardian this thing. And what I mean by that is, you know, let's look at the Cleveland, you know, let's look at the Cleveland guardians. You know, they had a good long time to come up with a name and they failed. Right. Without question. 
Uh, for me, I it's unexpected, obviously. Um, so you know what's funny is, do you remember the uh, reverse retro jerseys? I do remember the reverse retros. All so so tell me something. How did all of those jerseys, you know, are so they're all sold out, right? Yeah. I've outside of you know Anaheim fans wearing you know wild wing jumping out of the ice, I have not seen any other any of the other ones. Neither I have, have I. Not, I, I, have I think I think the Anaheim, ones. I think the Anaheim one was the best selling one out of all of them. Of oh, without question. Well, okay, so so take it a step further. Uh, last year, I went to the UBS Arena uh, for the Islanders home opener. Um, I did not see a single uh, jersey, like, like a single reverse retro jersey. Um, wow. I just haven't seen. I just have not seen them out in the wild. So I'm just like, how did they sell out? Who's buying these? Because I have not seen any of them, and not and not a lot of them were that great. Like Detroit's was a, was a bona fide practice jersey. <laughs> like it, they just weren't very good. So. No, I agree. A yeah. lot of the reverse retro jerseys were not some of the best out there. Um, I want to say the Canucks had a pretty good one. The that must hurt to say. I know it hurts. It really, it really did. It really did. Um, I think who the hell? I think uh, the uh, Carolina actually went back to the Hartford Whalers look. Oh, no, they did. Yeah, they did. So there's that one. That one was a really good one. Um, Phoenix had a really good one. Uh, it's I'm tired. I get tired of looking at that same get up every time. They always because they always use that same logo. Like they don't do anything else. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, uh, I'm looking at them now. A lot of them just weren't that great. They, they no, I mean, I, let me go ahead and pull up the reverse. Uh, yeah, reverse. I, I, uh, that's what I did. What is it? The reverse what again? Reverse Shit. retro jerseys. There we go. Reverse retro. God. So I'm bringing right. them all up. Um, first of all, I will say this: the uh, the the Kings one that was actually a good one. I wanted that one so bad, but I just never got my hands on it. Even if it is the Kings, <laughs> I just you know I'm from LA, so like you know that of course I think, of, colors, of course. I think one of the worst ones that came out was the Toronto Maple Leaves and the Colorado Avalanche. You don't like the Colorado joint? I mean, it's just so bland. It's there. There's nothing really there to that pops out. I mean, I know it's an all white jersey, but it just doesn't pop out like like some of the other ones do. Right. You know what's funny is I remember that season. I don't think teams wore these jerseys a whole bunch. Now, see the Anaheim mighty the the Ducks did not wear. They wore it three times. Yeah, three. I think I mean, that was the least of the entire league. Yeah, that was the least of the entire league. I was always wondering why they never wore them more often, but it was just they never won a game in them, and I was just like, okay, that's why. <laughs> well, well, I mean, it's hard to win a game in them if a the team ain't that great, and then b you only wear it three times. Like, of course, exactly, of course. Um, I think Chicago had one of the worst because that one was just black and white and gray, oh. if you will. That was one of the worst ones. It really was. I mean the. The Blackhawks one was absolutely terrible. Let me pull it up again. So, yeah, there it is. I mean, it's just it is it, it was just completely bland. They tried to go back to the to the actual like beginning of the franchise, and it just it just didn't work. No, 
Because because they had they had they they used that same getup for an outdoor jersey, but that one had color. So I'm just like, why not just do that again if he was gonna do that? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but uh, I mean, we not we ain't gonna go team by team. But my, the point I was trying to make is a lot of them just weren't that great, but they somehow all sold out. Um, and I I've just never seen them in the wild. I don't see anybody wearing them in any of the games I've gone to. I. I barely wear mine, to be honest. I've only worn it a handful of times myself, so I'm a culprit too. Not gonna uh, lie. So I got I got my Nike or I got my uh, retro reverse uh, Wild Wing jersey, and I put Paul Korea on the back. I put nine and Korea on there. Right. Had to. Right. And I have hardly ever worn it. I've I really have. I think I've probably worn it about four times. Right. <laughs> right. And I've spent a fortune on it. No, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, but anyway, um, I'll be, you know, this is something to keep an eye on for the next, cause this won't happen until the 2024. So this is a, you know, a year from now, practically, basically. Uh, so yeah, it'll, be, it'll, it'll is, be after the season, after this one that, uh, that it takes place. So we'll yeah, see. And there's, and there's a chance that, you know, teams could actually, um, there could be a chance where teams actually, you know, bring back really good logos. And this is also an opportunity. But the curious thing that I have is, yeah, if the if the Kraken do a retro reverse, there's only one team that they can do, and that's the Seattle Metropolitans. I'm very right. actually a little curious about that one. That that, that would look I, good. No, no. See, I have to be honest with you. I don't think we'll we'll get another reverse retro set just because of how this one went. I don't know. I don't know if we'll get another one. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because like we because like we we're only two years removed from these because this was a this was the 2020 2021 season so it might it might be a while before uh, before we get a reverse retro again. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not gonna lie. So I think that the if I was the marketing director for the Anaheim Ducks, you know, I'm actually going up to the owners and I'm saying, what is the most? Do you know what the most lucrative? part of the organization is and if they say well we don't know which one is well here's the thing it's mighty ducks gear that's the thing excuse me that's the thing that i don't understand look i get that you know walt disney owns the mighty ducks no i don't think they do anymore i I, don't no i don't think so i think at this point at least from what i've been told i think you know the samuelis the owners they can use the logo whenever they want they just don't (laughs) They just don't. And I think because they want to stick to the whole Orange County thing, like, which cares? is stupid in my opinion. Like, I, I, I think it's I think it's stupid yeah. because yeah. look, I'm being honest with you. Mm-hmm. If the Anaheim Ducks were to rebrand themselves, if they were to come back out with the teal, the purple, the right. white, right? If they were to all, if they were to come out with all of that good stuff. Um, and you know, you don't have to be called the mighty ducks. You can still be called the ducks, but if you were to come out and come out with those jerseys again, guaranteed that the Anaheim ducks jerseys with the old mighty ducks gear would be the hottest selling jerseys in the NHL. Oh, without, without question. Even people who absolutely hate the ducks are like, Oh, that's the best logo of all time in, in, in the NHL. So I don't understand why they're not doing it like i get i get that she want to stay with the orange county theme but like here's the thing nobody cares about orange county 
<laughs> like nobody says, oh, let's go to Orange County. Everybody says, let's go to Tustin. Let's go to Anaheim. Let's go to Newport, wherever. Nobody says, let's go to Orange County. So that, that whole, oh, we want to be orange. It doesn't do anything. It really doesn't do anything. No, it really doesn't. No. Because, uh, you know, it, it's so funny because I did grow up in a really good era of hockey because, you know, it's it's really weird because when I was growing up in the 90s, I had no I was not really into hockey. I'll admit that I, I didn't get I didn't get involved in hockey until late 1999. No, late 1998. Excuse me. And. You know, if I go back and look at those jerseys, it doesn't have to be Mighty Ducks gear. It doesn't have to be Mighty Ducks gear, but it has to. But you go back and you look at some of these jerseys back in the 90s, back in the 80s. And those and those are some of the most memorable and most very sought out jerseys by not just collectors, but by jersey fanatics. And it's so weird. It's so weird that the Ducks don't want because I know I'm trying. I know I'm making it sound like, you know, uh, they should be money hungry, but that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is, is if you could somehow market the Mighty Ducks gear back to your team, you will make more money. Not just from not just from Ducks fans, but from everybody in the country, because the most memorable hockey jersey that was ever in a movie is a Mighty Ducks jersey. So, uh, when was the last time you've been to a... Oh, I don't know if you've ever been to a Ducks game out here. I have never been out to a Ducks game out okay. there. I was at a Ducks game yeah. out here. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, okay. So then what I will say is, you know, uh, when you come out here for a Ducks game eventually, you'll notice that roughly 70 to maybe 80% of the crowd is usually rocking some kind of Mighty Ducks gear. It's not even orange. It's not even the, the regular home stuff, which is kind of crazy. Like most of the definitely. crowd is wearing, you know, the old stuff. Hey, I'll be one of the, I'll be one of those people. Whenever yeah. I can come, out, whenever I can come out to, to California, hopefully, maybe I can make it down there this year and we can go to a game together. But um, if if not this year, it'll be next year that I'll come down there for a visit and I'll I'll definitely come down there and see you, brother, and we can definitely hit up and hit up a Ducks game because I will definitely wear my Mighty Ducks gear so proudly. Oh, without um, question. What's that? I said no. I said without question. Absolutely. Oh yeah. And question. but here's the thing. You know, I'm not gonna lie. If <laughs> here's the funny thing. If I was to come down there and they're playing the Kraken, I'm gonna I'm gonna sport my Kraken gear. I'm sorry. Well, well no, well, no, no, no. That's see, that's not what we do. We have this thing called a road trip, right? So it usually goes San Jose, Anaheim, LA. So what you would do is you would go to the Crypto.com Arena and wear your Kraken gear there that's what you would do oh okay okay yeah. i see what you're doing yeah, i see because, what you're doing because you know everybody everybody go and this is so california used to be like the world trip from hell back in the day where everybody mm -hmm. played those three teams back to back to back so definitely do that that's what you oh do. i will definitely yeah. start i will definitely try to get some money for that one yeah. um it's i don't know man it's so it's so weird because, you know, just talking about Mighty Ducks gear and just uh, trying to be trying to actually like think about if the NHL would or if the Ducks would actually bring that marketable gear back is just such a really cool idea because 
you know, it's, I, I don't know, man. It's so, I just want, I want the Mighty Ducks back. Yeah. Everybody wants the Mighty Ducks back. I don't care who you are. Every single buddy in this country, even people who hate the Ducks, they want the Mighty Ducks back. Right. Right, right. I mean, for God's, uh, I mean, for God's sakes, everybody wants the Hartford Whalers back. For God's sakes, yeah, they want the Hartford Whalers back. They want the uh, Quebec Nordiques back. I personally want the Atlanta Thrashers back. That's what I want back. Oh, there we go. That's uh, that's one jersey that is could be just as marketable as the Mighty Ducks jerseys is the Atlanta Thrashers gear and. It's a shame that that city never really got into the, you know, they never really got into the hockey ways. It's, and it was just, it's it, not it, even, what? Okay. It was just a bad city for hockey. I don't think Atlanta is a hockey city. No, nah, that, that's not true. That was, so there's a documentary actually on the Thrashers. And turns out it was actually management, like the ownership. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know how to, oh, market. They didn't know really? how to market to the city. Yeah. Why do you think they've had, why do you think Atlanta's had not one, but two teams? They had the Atlanta Flames and then they had the Atlanta Thrashers. So, oh, okay. I see. Yeah. So they, they tried twice and they messed up both times. I don't know how you mess up two hockey teams, but where, where the, the hell, did, where the hell can I watch that? I want to watch that documentary now. Um, well, it's more of a YouTube video. It's not like an official NHL made. Oh, I see, I see. Well, I mean, I can, I can link you some. Oh yeah, definitely link it, man. Yeah. Because I, I would, I would want to watch that all damn day. But um, so yeah, I mean, it's uh, the the I, I, it's so weird that we have such like the slow, the first time ever that we've ever done this podcast together. This has been the slowest week ever, hockey wise. Well, okay, so it, it's been a very slow week, so I have a question for you. Uh, okay, this, I this probably have an answer. Happen, this, pro- this, this also did happen this week, although it's not Kraken or Dutch related. So the Kings are retiring Dustin Brown's jersey, and they're giving him a statue. So, Oh, God. How do you feel about that? He is not. He was not that great. Okay, he, Dustin Brown is a – look – Dustin Brown is an all-time king, right? but he is not statue-worthy. I don't care what anybody says. And also, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Dustin Brown's an asshole. <laughs> you, you, you wouldn't be wrong. Um, so the argument that a, lot, that a lot of people have, you know, coming from, you know, king and non-king fans that they're saying that he did something that Wayne and Luke Robitaille could never do and that's you know bringing the Kings to a cup oh which, my god which which granted Wayne did they were in the finals they just didn't win yeah um, I mean so. but it, it, this is this is my problem with with people like that um you people need to understand something and by the way for anybody wondering I'm not using you people as a derogatory term I'm saying you people as a group need to stop thinking that every sport is about one player because I'm going to be honest with you. First of all, you know, Wayne Gretzky can't win a Stanley cup by himself. Michael Jordan could not win a title by himself. LeBron James could not win a title by himself. I'm going down the list of so many goats and they, you can't do it on yourself. 
that's what these people don't understand. They think that one player is going to significantly put you in con- put you in contention for uh, a title run. And and look, Austin Matthews hasn't been able to win one, and he's had the and he's had players around him to help him. But I mean, it's Toronto; they choke all the time. And then look at look at the Oilers. Look at Connor McDavid. They had the team. They choked it. One player, one player is not going to get you a title. I don't care what anybody says. I mean, you could put prime Barry Bonds. You could put prime Barry Bonds on the Anaheim Angels right now. It's not going to save your season. He's not going to give you 20 wins out of 23 games. I don't care what anybody says. Sports are a team, are a team thing. And one player is not winning you a title. Right. Right. So, uh, so, well, okay. Well, you've never been to crypto arena. So the reason why this is so controversial is because there's actually already a statue that contains Dustin from the first cup. Uh, I believe it's the 2012 cup. Win. There's already a statue with him on it. So people are like, uh, why is he need a second one? That kind of thing. So first of all, the fact that they actually have a statue for that team, yeah. like really, like they were riding so high on that one team that they had to give them a statue. Yeah, I, I don't remember. No, it might be the, it's either the 2012 or 2014 team. It's one of those two, but I'm pretty sure it's 2012. Um, but yeah, like like the jersey retirement, I can get behind that. I, I get it. I can, you know? I can definitely get behind Dustin Brown, uh, Dustin Brown's jersey getting retired because look, as much as I hate the guy, I, I'm I'm not gonna lie. He is one of the greatest to ever put on the jersey for the for the Los Angeles Kings. I'm not gonna deny that, right. because first of all, I I posted it. I did a live stream the other night, and I don't know if you watched the K Hart, but I was saying that people focus too much on others. And you know, look, I I will say this. I hate a lot of players, but I but I'm always going to admit when there's a player that is really good and was very important to an organization. Dustin Brown is that player because, you know, let's talk about the, the angels, you know, a good example on the angels is Garrett Anderson, Troy Glouse, Darren Eckstein. I mean, I can, I can name a lot of guys that were really, (laughs) were just some of the best players were one of the best players to play their position and played for that team. And, you know, I'm going to give them the respect that they deserve. I mean, look, I'm I'm a Kraken and a Ducks fan, but I'm certainly not going to disrespect Dustin Brown in the fact that I'm I would never say that Dustin Brown doesn't deserve to have his jersey retired uh, for the for the Los Angeles Kings because that is just completely false. Right. Any 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 hater of the of the Sharks knows that Patrick Marlowe, he needs to have his jersey will get retired because he's an all time great shark. And Dustin Brown is an all-time great king. And I will I'll admit it all the time. Right. Right. But I mean <laughs> there's definitely, you know, pros and cons. Well not pros and yeah, pros and cons of his career. Like, you know, he won the Cubs, but then he got his jerk you got the other uh, C ripped off, that kind of stuff. You know, the team kind of fell off on his watch after they won that second cup. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a lot. You know that goes in, into his career. It's very up and down. 
but he, but he definitely deserves it nonetheless. The statue, mm, I don't know about that one, but the jersey, I'll give him that. Same with Patty Marlowe. You know, no, granted, he never did win the cup, granted. But I mean, that's that's hockey for you. A lot of the best players never win. Look at uh, Joe Thornton. He's still <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, it's. I mean, again, we can we can name a lot of players that you know could never you know because. I will I will go ahead and throw out a current player right now that I, we all know is getting his jersey retired probably I want to say about a minute or maybe even 30 seconds after he retires and it's Sidney Crosby. Oh, without question. And and here's the thing, look, you know you know that Sidney Crosby gets a lot of hate. He gets a lot of hate, but it's not undeserved. It's not undeserved. Like he kind of Gave no, the reputation. he does. He does deserve a little bit of hatred just because of the way he presents himself. Yeah. But people in their anger also need to admit greatness. And Sidney Crosby, in my opinion, is perhaps the greatest player in Pittsburgh Penguins hockey next to Yamir Yager. You're forgetting someone. Oh, shit, I am. You still got time to say his name. Oh my God, Mario Lemieux. Thank you, thank you very much. God dang it, I was, dude. You, when you actually said that, I honestly was drawing. I, I honestly had a brain fart. I could not think. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so so no yeah. top three top three Pittsburgh Penguins of all time: Sidney Crosby, Mario Lemieux, Yamir Agar. Right. And I'm not gonna and I'm not gonna say what position they are because I'm gonna say this: all three players greatest to ever put on that jersey without question and you know we can we can make an argument you know people can make arguments for you know when if does ryan Getzlav deserve to have his number retired as an anaheim duck oh absolutely yeah absolutely because um you know coach zach gray when that day happens he's gonna cry he's gonna cry (laughs) but first of all greatness needs to be admitted because Ryan Getzlav was definitely one of the best to put on the jersey of an Anaheim Duck. But he's one of the few remaining... He was one of the last players remaining to put on a Mighty Ducks jersey as well. Right. Actually, I I think he was the last player uh, active-wise in the NHL who ever wore a Mighty Ducks jersey. I don't think I can name anybody. The last player who wore a Mighty Ducks jersey? Mm-hmm. Man. Well, I mean, outside of... Uh, there was that one game, I think, 2013, where they where they actually didn't wear it, like the original. So, I, I'm not going to count that. I don't, no, I don't no, think... I know it doesn't count. I know. But yeah, I'm pretty sure that that was the last crew to, uh, to wear it. Yeah, definitely. But um, yeah, I mean... <laughs> We can always, we can go ahead we can get into greatness all we want. I mean it's it's funny. But um I think Roman might have an interesting opinion on that matter. What do you think, Roman? Uh can you can you read the question? Sorry, I'm doing six things at once here. So we were we were just talking about uh greatness when it came to players who get their numbers retired from a hockey team and sure. because uh Dustin Brown is going to th- 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 he's going to get his number retired from uh, the LA Kings, which we all admit is he deserves it. Absolutely. And, you know, look, I'm going to be the first one to say this. My most hated 
player in the entire NHL. Patrick Kane. I hate him. I, I, I hate his guts. But I'm going to admit this. He is one of the greatest to ever put on the jersey of a Chicago Blackhawk. Definitely. So, so, so the question to you, Roman, is, is there a player that you just hate beyond belief, but is also an all-time great for a team? Uh, I mean... Well, I'm, never mind. Ed, coming from a, talking to a Yankees or talking to a Red Sox fan. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Ouch. Wow. He about to lead a podcast. Ouch. I, I, you know, that was actually exactly that what was, I was. I'm sorry. Say. I'm sorry. Wow. How do you do that? That wow. that one hurt. Oh, man. You know what? I don't. First of all, I don't really get that many chances to completely destroy somebody. But I always but I always enjoy it when I do. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm just hurt that, that I'm sorry. someone would I, ever make such a mistake. I'm, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. I honestly, I really wasn't thinking on that one. I, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> but, but no. In all seriousness, though, is like you got to, you got to name a couple players that you, you can't stand beyond belief. But you also have to admit that that player's jersey will get retired for that particular team, and he is one of the greatest to ever play for that team. The one, and I mean, this is uh, you, you, you talk about the Yankees. I, I, I have I have takes about Derek Jeter that I will refrain from and, and use for another time. Um, because if you if you switch his numbers with um, if you switch, excuse me, his jersey with Chipper Jones's, Chipper Jones would be like considered the greatest player of all time. Um, but the one that comes to mind immediately for me as a Patriots fan is Peyton Manning. Whoa! I could not stand Peyton Manning, but he just as as a Brady, as someone who's on the Brady side of everything, you you had to hate Peyton Manning, but you you wow. can't help but respect him. Wow! You know what? I'm actually really shocked. I like Khard. Are you a little shocked by that? No. <laughs> no, being that uh, you know Peyton spent a lot of his time as an as a AFC rival, excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, it makes perfect sense. It makes they perfect played sense. every year, every other year. The games were always hotly contested. Yeah, and it's, it's nothing against Peyton personally. He's a fantastic human being. I've got to meet him once. Like yeah. truly an amazing person. But it's it's just watching him play. I was like, oh my god. And they have to play Peyton Manning this week. And he was just always the guy who was in the running for MVP. And no matter how much you wanted to bang the table for it being Brady, Peyton was just always right there, nipping at his heels. Oh yeah. Okay, so I have a I have another good one for, for K Hart, actually. This okay. is because I think you can actually sympathize with me on this one. Alright. So one player that I hate right now who is an active player playing football. I can't stand him beyond belief. First of all, he walks into training camp like douchebags are us. I know who it is already. And I know he will one day be known as one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. He'll get his number retired. I'm going to admit it. Aaron Rodgers is one of the greatest oh. quarterbacks to ever play for the Green Bay Packers. Yes. I will say his Con Air outfit was the single greatest thing I have ever seen <laughs> in my entire life. I, no, come on. He looked like he really did. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen a player come into training camp and I mistook him for for Nick Kate for Nicholas Cage. I've never <laughs> seen that. That's why I'm saying it's douchebags are us with him. 
Now, see, I thought you were talking about uh, Russell Wilson because he came with his uh, actual team jersey on. That's what I thought you were talking now, about. Now, see, I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not ride. going to lie. I am going. I am not going to lie. When I first saw Russell Wilson walking into training camp wearing his own fucking jersey, yeah, behind that gas guzzling, whatever the hell he's driving, yeah. I'm just like, so this is how you're going to personify your image and I'm not going to lie look Russell Wilson one of these days will have his number retired with the Seahawks and I think he is the greatest quarterback in Seahawks he is the greatest quarterback in Seahawk history no doubt but it's just he is Russell Wilson is so easy to make fun of especially when he does stupid shit like that <laughs> he does it to himself he really does <laughs> and, and I'm not going to lie, dude, I think it also has something to do with his wife because is it just me or did, did Sierra kind of really turn Russell Wilson into a Hollywood sissy? Man, I, uh, I don't know. I, I didn't really know the dude um, like that. I, I don't, I don't know what it is these days. I thought he always kept, kept to himself. This is different. Like that old mm-hmm. Subway commercial? Oh my god. What were we watching? Oh, those, th- that friggin' yeah. that Subway commercial is beyond irritating. All those Subway commercials are beyond irritating. Oh, without question. It's, it's so, cr- <laughs> so cringeworthy. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I get that that's kind of the point, which is kind of funny, but it's just so annoying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so real quickly, before we end this segment... Before we say goodbye to K Hart, first of all, K Hart, thank you so much always for being on this podcast, man. Because you know what, guys? Hey, after this show, we're two away from 100. Two away from 100. All right. Man, can you believe it? We're two away from 100. And uh, I'm making sure I uh, email uh, the Kraken uh, Media Relations just because I want to make sure that JT Brown is still coming on to this show because I want everything to be good but uh, John Forslund is definitely going to be coming on to the hockey segment on that part but before we get out of here uh, or before K-Hart gets out of here here is a really really good player that I think a lot of people can hate but people also need to admit that he is the that he's one of the greatest of all times and I already said his name once in this show, and it's Barry Bonds. And I say the reason why people hate on him is because people believe that he is a cheater. People think he is a cheater, and they hate on him. But we all need to admit something. If and It doesn't matter if he did steroids or not. That man was one of the greatest to ever play. I can get behind that. <laughs> the, the the thing about yeah the, the steroids in baseball is it still takes a lot of skill to actually hit the ball Fact. as much as mm-hmm. he did so he he deserves so much more credit than he actually gets buddy of mine sent me a video this morning of him getting intentionally walked at the home run derby which I had totally forgotten it happened it was just <laughs> For, I completely beautiful. forgot about that one that was one of the funniest things I ever saw as a kid Alrighty, so that is going to do it for this uh, segment with me and K-Hart. K-Hart, as always, man, uh, we I'm going to talk to you next Wednesday, man, when we uh, begin our Jurassic Park movie commentary, bro. Alright, look forward to it. Yeah, and also, I almost forgot to tell you, so Detective Pikachu got banned 
our Detective Pikachu got uh, blocked on YouTube. What? Can you believe that? Because they said that we used music and it was copyright. And I'm just like, maybe what, it was music, the what music did what music did we use? Maybe it was the beginning music. I'm not sure. Though. I think so. I think it might have been that music that got us. But either way, the podcast is still up on Apple. Um, it's not available on YouTube, but it's still available on Apple and Spotify. And next week, me and K-Hart get started on uh, our first I want to say, no, our second movie trilogy. Yes. This is going to be our second movie trilogy that we do because the first one that we did was uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right, right. All righty, man. Well, I bid you a good night, and I will talk to you next Wednesday, brother. Y'all be good. Later, brother. And there we go. K-Hart is uh, out of the building, and uh, Roman, I'm not going to lie, dude. So I told K-Hart this, but I'm actually out of the state. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. All you all you told me was an undisclosed location, so I, I, I assumed it was top secret, and I just didn't ask any questions. <laughs> yeah, so um, uh, I will say this though: I have a, you know, I have a uh, a dock out there. I have a beautiful lake, and I get to go fishing every for a couple days, and I'm just enjoying the, you know, the peace and tranquility up here. And for, and I'm not gonna lie, I get really good Wi-Fi reception up here even better (laughs) (laughs) and uh so that's why uh so i'm just taking like a mini vacation basically just to uh basically to you know clear my head and also kind of just like relax and i definitely need it and i definitely need this vacation because i got a nice refrigerator refrigerator full of coronas i had like i said i have a beautiful lake out here and i'm good i get to uh go fishing every day and uh there's there's probably a good chance that every day i'm going to be frying up some frying up some rainbow trout oh there you go yeah <laughs> what more do you need um a humidor with with a bunch of cigars <laughs> fair enough <laughs> all righty roman so what do we have to talk about this week with huskies man uh, well, uh, on Wednesday, the Huskies got a, a commitment from three-star offensive lineman Kaylee Tafai uh, out of California, and they're, they've taken an interesting approach along the offensive line. They've gotten a couple players that I really, really like, um, kind of potential-wise, one of them being Zachary Henning from Colorado, but um, they've taken two guys now, and Sione Fasolo and Kaylee Tafai, that are just absolute monstrous human beings. And for guys in the back end of the class where there's already a whole ton of talent in the program along the offensive line, there is absolutely no harm in extending a scholarship to these guys. In terms of Fasolo, he measures in somewhere between 6'8 and 6'9 and at around 275, 280 pounds. And while it's clear he's still trying to get his feet under him, but learning the actual position of playing tackle, just playing along the offensive line in general, that's a guy where you see that kind of body, kind of body type and you're just like, okay, I will offer you a scholarship right now. As a buddy of mine likes to say, if they're that kind of size and they already, you know, move really well and know how to play the position, then they're named Orlando Pace. And they start <laughs> day one at Ohio State and they start day one in the NFL. And as soon as they're eligible, they go straight into the Hall of Fame. But <laughs> obviously there are not a lot of people out there named Orlando Pace. So it's very exciting to 
get those kind of takes because just getting those kinds of body types in the room, especially if they're six, like if they're super athletic, for example, um, Tafai is somewhere between six five, six six, from what I understand. Rating, or excuse me, kids always lie on their measurements. Probably closer to six five, even though he doesn't really need the extra inch. But there's always a little bit of uh, embellishing done by all kinds of um, recruiting websites. So I'd say he's probably somewhere around six foot five, three hundred pounds right now. And again, it's it's like Fasolo, where that's the kind of body type you see it and you say, here is a scholarship. We would love for you to play offensive line for us in like three years where we get you in the weight room. We get you actually learning the position. We get you practicing against top competition and we see what happens. Might not turn into something. No, no offense to the kid because it happens a lot over the course of college football as a whole. Yeah. But it's something where if he pans out, that is a superstar because that yeah. kind of athleticism and body type are incredibly rare. Oh, 100%. You know, uh, the thing that I, I, I will admit this, I really try to look at the recruiting process as closely as I can, which is why I'm really, <laughs> which is why I'm really glad that you're a part of this podcast because you, <laughs> you, you, you do a better job at it than I do. But, you know, at the same time, I think we also need to keep talking about this coaching staff with the, with the Huskies because the, because again, you know, we we said it last week on the Ghetto Podcast where I I didn't have my laptop, <laughs> and uh, you know, the 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 really interesting part about this entire coaching staff for the Huskies right now is a they have kids coming in onto on, onto the UW campus, and they have these guys who are wanting to come and play and it's you know it's it's really it's so amazing to see how how very easily that you know the huskies are the huskies move on from jimmy lake because that was an absolute dumpster fire we can all agree absolutely and they they hired this guy named kalen DeBoer, who i was really excited i'm not gonna lie i was really excited when i first heard that Kalen DeBoer was becoming the new head coach because now we get new new coaches, all of that. And, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I feel like that this Kalen DeBoer team and this Kalen DeBoer uh, coaching staff could really push the Huskies in a direction that they needed, to, that, that they were getting pushed when uh, Coach Chris Peterson was here because... You know, when Chris Peterson came here, he started seeing success right away. And granted, he did have a lot of kids that were already there, but he transformed that program. And I feel like Kalen, and I feel like Kalen DeBoer and this coaching staff that he has is seriously about to transform this program, not just from a Pac-12 or Pac-10, whatever title contender future big 10 but yeah future big 10 but i'm starting to think maybe just maybe kalen DeBoer and this coaching staff can finally give the west coast a possible national title contender well the, i i will i will interject and say that there already is one uh at the university of southern california 
uh, that that team is <laughs> going to contend for national championships. Mm-hmm. With, with yeah, I agree. I agree. And the way he recruits. Um, but the 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 first thing I'll say is Kalen DeBoer is getting put into a great and a terrible situation at the same time. Obviously, it's terrible from what Jimmy Lake has kind of left him. But at the same time, Jimmy Lake has also left him an incredibly talented roster. There are a lot of future NFL players on this team right now that are going to have an impact and that should be really exciting players to to watch this season and beyond. Mm -hmm. So... That that all is great, but the best thing that Kalen DeBoer has done so far for this program is that he has instilled a new kind of attitude, and he has instilled a the and for lack of a better term, really the, the Chris Peterson way again, where the guys are buying into what he is selling, where that clearly wasn't happening under Jimmy Lee where I've, I've heard from multiple people that guys were kind of left to fend for themselves and they weren't really bought into what the coaches, coaching staff was giving them and it showed. It really showed last year. And on the recruiting trail, we've seen it. We saw it in spring practice. When fall practices start up again next week, we're going to see it again then. But this is, he truly has brought a different atmosphere to the program, something that they desperately needed. And the now they, they just have to show it on the field. And if they can show it on the field, then I will believe that. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Look, I, I'm, I'm not really expecting Kalen DeBoer, you know, in his first couple of years to actually transform this team into a national title contender. That's not what I was saying, though. Oh, no, but, I, I, I get what you're saying. No, no, no. But, I, but I I'm was saying it, does, it won't take much. It no, it's, take it's not going to take a lot for, for Kalen DeBoer to actually put together a national title contender. But what I am also saying is, you know, I kind of feel like Kalen DeBoer might actually be the kind of like the chosen one. And what I what I actually mean by that is what I mean by that is because of how well he's been able to recruit with how well he's been able to pull kids away from other top programs. I feel like maybe Washington can start pulling Oregon players away from Oregon. And I know, I know that's a really bold statement. I know that, but it's just, I don't know. I feel like the guys who we talked to who have committed to this program are so well in tuned with Kalen DeBoer and so excited to play under him and the coaching staff that maybe these guys are maybe maybe these guys start to see that instead of because Roman I think you and I we have talked about this numerous times and I'm going to bring it up again so remember how I said that UW seems to lose recruits to other schools it's because of the gear that they get because you look at what Oregon look who Oregon is sponsored by by friggin' Nike. And a lot of these kids get Jordans, Nikes, and so much cool stuff. Because, Roman, I think you and I can agree. And I think, and I know it's going to kill us to say it. Oregon has some of the coolest fucking Nike gear in the world. I actually personally just don't like it because I don't like the color scheme. Um, 
but you can't deny that they have some of the most impressive Nike gear. I get that the color scheme is not really great, oh, but de- you cannot deny that, though. But the the one thing that really that needs to be said, and it's something that was covered a lot during, because it's 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 truly crazy how just recency bias can affect everything. Because if this was a conversation that we were having during the 2020 recruiting class, it would not have come up. Because if Chris Peterson wanted a player on the West Coast, it didn't matter who had no- who they had nothing from. He was getting them. Mm-hmm. There, there was at least one player, and there are definitely more, who... I remember the, the example I'll bring up is Jalen McMillan. When, oh, God, yes. When he committed to Washington, he said word for word, uniforms and facilities aren't everything about college so it's not it's truly just not about the gear it's about how well you can sell the program and that's what jimmy lake did not do he did not sell the program and i've talked to many kids who are currently committed in this class of 2023 and they talk about the the atmosphere they talk about getting to the next level and they talk about everything surrounding the coaching staff and surrounding the culture. The facilities are, are very good. They're, the Washington has very good facilities, but it's about everything else. And I, I don't want to throw any kind of recruit under the bus by saying this, but if they are strictly making their decision on where they want to go to college off of what kind of shoes or whatever it is that they're going to get, that they did not truly understand what the recruiting process is about. Yeah. Because it's no, about, I, 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 I agree with you. It's about, I mean, everything around that and like, yeah, sure. That can be a selling point. That, and it's a great selling point. It truly is. Yeah. But that should not be it. And because if we go back and we look at the recruitment of someone like Savelle Smalls, or as, as I just said, Jalen McMillan, Fatubi Tuitele, all guys that were pulled in in the classes of 2019 and 2020. Though mm. Those guys could have gone anywhere in the country. And there are many more examples of guys that I can bring up that could have gone anywhere in the country, but they chose Washington. where Because you don't think that they're getting a whole bunch of that stuff if they go to Alabama, for instance. Mm. Or if <laughs> they go to Oklahoma. Oklahoma's a Jordan school. Michigan's a Jordan school. Yeah, One of these guys had offers to those places. And it's it's truly about how well you can sell what the school can do for you. And that's one of the beauties of Washington as a program. And that's something that I talk to a lot of fans who try to get the point across. And it's it's something where there it's it's basically what I, what I'm trying to say is there is so much more that the University of Washington can offer than some of these other schools because of the Fortune 500 companies in Seattle, because of the atmosphere that the city of Seattle can bring, because of the atmosphere that the University of Washington can bring. The University of Washington is one of the best schools in the country. It's, it's about that. That's Those are the big selling points. And that was something that Jimmy Lake did not sell but that was something that the Chris Peterson built for life mentality was able to get across so well and it sounds like something that Kalen DeBoer has been able to push 
with some of his um, some of his recruiting pitches. So it's truly just about understanding what your school has to offer, and that's what Oregon has to offer. They have to offer the Nike brand. And mm. listen, listen to Kayvon Thibodeau talk about it. Okay. Because he basically just said, "Yeah, I went to Oregon because of Nike." Um, but it, it's and and again, like no no slight to Kayvon Thibodeau, he's a great player. He probably, if I I think if he went to Alabama, he would have gotten uh, picked over Trayvon Walker. Um, but it's there's just there's so much more than just the the jerseys and the shoes and the photo shoots because there's so much more to the college experience than all of that. And guys get swindled all the time. And that's, that's, it's, it's truly a bummer, but that's just the way that college athletics has worked for so long now. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. Uh, like 110%. I mean, it, it really is about how well you can actually promote the, promote the brand, promote the school, promote everything. And, you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, Peterson didn't sell the program as well as he could. Jimmy Lake couldn't. Jimmy Lake couldn't. Jim, I'll be honest with you. Jimmy Lake could not sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves. Jimmy Lake was an awful, awful recruiter, and he was terrible when it came to selling this school. This is and, only as a head coach, because I will not say a thing to tarnish his, his legacy as a defensive backs coach at the University of Washington, because he got whoever he wanted. Mm-hmm. He just rested on his laurels when he got into the the head head coaching position. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so the the final thing that I have to talk about this is, of course, what is it that we have to look forward to? And I'm not going to lie. I feel like this season for the Huskies, I want to say maybe expect nine to ten wins maybe I think we can probably expect that from this Kalen DeBoer team because um, you know the only question is this is, the, this is the only question on my mind is who in the bloody hell are we going to be having at starting quarterback because I don't think Dylan Morris is the answer I don't think Sam Heward is the answer that's the that really is the only problem that I that I really see. I so the the first thing is right now the answer is Michael Penix. There he, you go. He came here to start. He's I I believe it's one year of eligibility. I could be wrong about that. I truly forget. Um, but he did not come here to sit on the bench. He will be the starting quarterback this year. But whenever he leaves the program. Sam Heward is absolutely 1,000% the answer. The dude has as much arm talent as anybody I have ever seen play the position. The issue is he, when he originally got here, he was, he was learning one system under Chris Peterson. He was, he was learning that Chris Peterson system, which was not a very good offense. It was not, I'm sorry. I, I know there are some people who want to defend it, but it was great in like 2006. It's not 2006 anymore. And then he had to learn the worst offense I have ever seen. I could have gone out there with a Madden playbook and called better plays than John Donovan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh and then my he God. had to learn that system. 
And now he has to learn a third system. And this system is, while it's quite complex, it's modern and it's forward thinking. And there are a lot of great things about what Kalen DeVore and Ryan Grubb are bringing to the table from an offensive standpoint. Mm-hmm. And now he's got to learn that offense. And he looked really, really good in the spring game. He looked like the best quarterback out there. And, it, and he looked like the five-star that he was coming out of high school. He did not look that way in the Apple Cup. He did not, did not look that way in any of the four games that he got a Mm-mm. chance to play in. So no, it's but just a matter at- of giving him time, letting him develop. I, I want to call it the lab. Just let him sit in the lab and work for a year, and he will be the answer. Yeah. You know what? I agree with you on everything. You know, because, again, can we please say that Dylan Morris is complete garbage no, as a quarterback? I, 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 I will not say that because I will not tarnish a single kid in the program. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, uh, I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry about that, though. <laughs> I, I, but, uh, I, I will also say that Dylan Morris was definitely a victim of circumstance where there is a certain type of system that really could work for Dylan Morris where no doubt. No, no doubt. I mean, I'm not saying that he's a like complete garbage quarterback, but I am saying that last year was a disaster. And again, it, like you said, it has to do with the playbook. It has to do with the system that you're put into. And that system and playbook was just not right for Dylan Morris. Absolutely. At all. And I mean, that, that, that system and playbook is not right for literally anybody on the face of the planet who wants to play the game of football. Um, as, as we can see by John Donovan, uh, I, 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 who currently has a defensive assistant role with the Green Bay Packers. I, I, I'm sure he just um, kind of showed teams the uh, his offense in 2021. They were like, wait, you were coordinating the defense, right? Because this defense looks really good. And that's probably how he got the job. Um, but Dylan Morris was... I, and from this is from people that I talked to who are much closer to the program than even I am, um, where he he was just basically not coached. John Donovan did not care. He saw Washington as his way back to the NFL. So he just kind of was like, all right, this is this is what I want to do. I'm going to do this ground and pound and, you know, ball control and this and that. And <sighs> we, we kind of saw that he was not coached at all. And that is not his fault. I no. cannot blame, I can blame him for some of the d- decision-making that we saw on the field. Mm-hmm. Because there's there's a certain point where you have to think on your feet, and that's what playing the quarterback position is for. There was I remember a play versus Oregon where he had somebody running wide open up the sideline, and he decided to throw it in triple coverage for an interception. Um, but for the most part, you can't. And, and this is this is what I, I believe I made this point last week. Coaching is more important in college football than it is in any other sport. Because these kids are 18, 19, 20 years old. High school coaches, with all due respect, some of them, some of them are, because some of them are great, the good majority of them do not know what they are doing. They love the game of football. They played in high school. Maybe some of them played in college. And they're taking things from 10, 15 different, different places. So they're not necessarily the best people to, to mold these these guys into athletes or mm-hmm. excuse me, into, not athletes into pure football players. That is on the college coaches. Why do you think that Alabama churns out so many NFL players every year? Yeah, they get great recruits, but they also coach them very well. Ohio state, same thing. 
Georgia, kind of the same thing. I, 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 I have views on the Georgia coaching staff. But if you look at the teams with the, the college teams with the most players in the NFL, it's because they have great coaching staffs. And who is on that list? Washington. Mm-hmm. Because of the, the coaching staff that Chris Peterson put in place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Washington has always been one of the premier schools to actually go to, in my opinion, for football um, for a long period of time. I know they've gotten some bad rep just because they're in the Pac-10, Pac-12 as of right now, and they're probably going to be in the Big Big Ten here very soon. But uh, Roman, thank you so much for joining me tonight, man. Always a pleasure talking with you and uh, looking forward to next week when we move the countdown down to two. Yes, sir. Can't wait. Later, brother. See you, man. And there you go, Roman. And as we do, now let's go ahead and welcome in our Sounders correspondent, Mark. What's going on, man? Oh, man, so much. So much. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you fine. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot to talk about. And <laughs> yes. you know what, Mark? I'm actually going to let you take the mic. Okay. And actually and actually kind of go on that rant that I saw you de- that I saw you texting me about because <laughs> I think you have a lot to talk about about not just the loss but also about this win. Yeah, um boy, I tell you, I I consume soccer and you and I've talked about this a ton. Uh, I watch a lot of MLS games, not just Sounders, although I am Sounders till I die. Uh it's my main hobby. It's watching soccer, analyzing soccer, looking at it. Um, I was listening to a podcast and Matt Doyle, who's one of the preeminent soccer commentators in, in the U.S., commented on the three straight losses and particularly the loss against Nashville, uh, which was the middle of that streak there. And he noted this thing and said basically what defenses are doing is they're setting up in such a fashion that they force the ball to the left side of her field where it dies on new who's feet. Now, you and I, we started texting about this, and I went and did a bunch of research because I thought, man, I hadn't thought about this. I can see it. I see it. And I knew there was something wrong. I just couldn't put my finger on it. And I went and started looking at the research and looked at the touch counts. Holy cow, is this evident once you look at it. In five, our last five wins, Nuhu, 20, 30 touches a game. Our last five losses, over 50 in every one of them. And one of them was as high as 70 touches out of a left back. Mike, that is that is insane. That is, that is absolutely nuts that he's getting that many touches in a game when he can't create offense. I love the Nuhu train. He's one of the best defenders in MLS, and I mean literally one of the best defenders in MLS. He is a world-class defender. He shut down most law last summer in Africa Cup of Nations. Absolutely locked him out. You're talking one of the best forwards in all of European football. And he closed him down, frustrated in the entire game. Cameroon lost, but many people, even in their loss, listed knew who is the man of the match for that game. So I don't mean to knock him. I'm just saying somebody's figured, some of these MLS teams have figured out, put the ball at knew who's feet, and we struggle. Now, we come out this last game, and what do we do? Who's sitting on the bench? Well, more specifically, who's not even in the 18, apparently, because of some kind of disciplinary issue. Instead, you got Kellen Rowe over there. And what happens? We look dangerous the entire time. Our pace is faster. The ball moves off the feet quicker. 
Allen Rose touches, much lower. Granted, he pulled a stupid move. There's a lot to talk about there. But in the end, man, something was different. And the difference was, who was at left back? And it showed in these matches. I was You're in the same Sounders fan groups. We see all the talk that all the Sounders fans are putting up right now about, oh, it's it's Rusnak or it's or it's uh, we miss Jao Paulo so bad. Those things are true. But the biggest challenge that's hurting our offense and making it difficult to score goals up right now is teams are playing, forcing the ball to his feet, and it's killing our ability to move forward. I, I don't know how else to, to be more evident with it. The numbers don't lie. They're there, and it's very easy to look at and see. Mike, I, I was floored when I looked at it. I just I couldn't believe it. I heard him say it. I knew that it was something like this that was going on and going to hunt it down, man. It just it floored me because I really like him as a player. He's such a good defender, and he's got so much energy. But he's got one assist for the year. He's not creating anything. Is that is that enough of a rant or uh, – Am I overshooting <laughs> that is, it? That is definitely a good rant to go on. And, y- you know, I can go over what Mark has actually said because, I, you know, I have the info right here because, you know, he's absolutely right. You know, the, the let's let's go ahead. and So he said, um, here's the completed passes and pass or uh, passes complete and passes attempted in the last five wins. For Nuhu, 32-35 uh, against Toronto, 36 for 42 against Sporting KC, 31-41 for 41 against Charlotte, 59-65 to 65 against Houston, and 36 for 41 against Minnesota. And let's look at the losses against Chicago. 41 of 52 against Nashville, 52, 64, Portland, 46, 56, Montreal, 66, 71, and Colorado, 39, 45. It's unbelievable how the stats just jump out at you. And it's unbelievable how teams have found a way to truly put together a really I want to say the one of the smartest strategic moves ever is you force new who to actually make an attempt to pass the ball. You actually force, you force him and you're absolutely right. You know, he doesn't create anything and it's absolutely a shame because look, I think, I think new who is one of the best defenders in the MLS. Like you said, I think that he could probably make a run for defender of the year at some point in his career. I, I truly believe that. He, but, he got votes for it two years ago before he yeah, got hurt. Yeah, but again, you know, it's I don't know. It's it's kind of bad how we're both talking positive and talking negative about Nuhu because it's hard to it's hard to talk about a player who the fans love so much. And I'm not gonna I lie, I I love him too. I can't imagine what would happen in Century Link or excuse me, not Century Link anymore. Lumen Field. Field. <laughs> yeah, if he scored. If he actually scored a goal, like okay, every time I he know, gets the ball, anywhere on the exactly. offensive end, everybody goes nuts. I know nuts exactly what would happen. Score. I know exactly what would fucking happen. The entire Mount Rainier would erupt. That's what <laughs> would happen. Mount yeah. Rainier would erupt if knew who was to score a goal. There would be you know, like the it would be Beastquake 
uh, you know, oh MLS Cup knew whose goal registering on the Richter skip. Oh my God! You're not yes. kidding. I mean, it, it would. I don't like. I, I don't say any of this. It's not something I want to say, right? Just the numbers don't lie. And I think if you look at what happened this this last game, Brian knows it. Smetzer knows it. That's why knew who wasn't even in the 18. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, take some time off. Sit down. And what happens? You bring in Kellen Rowe, who is not a left back. I mean, he spent his entire year in the mid, their entire career in the midfield. He's played their service to leave on who was hurt at the start of the year. But in the end, he's not really a left back. But he can move the ball. He can be creative. He can pass. He can be involved in the offense. And teams can't shut him down. Oh my God! And yes, it, I agree. And it showed. Now I don't do I. I mean. Rowe demonstrated very clearly why he's not really a left back. But in the end, like he struggled too, uh, def- you know, defensively, he really struggled defensively, uh, you know, uh, uh, keeping Michael Barrios occupied. Uh, Barrios ran right by him. I and mean, the only chances Colorado had at all were Barrios going down the right side of their offense. But in the end, like we, w- we didn't have this giant hole and they couldn't plan for it. And it was very yeah. obvious. Now, I do think that it worked a lot differently when Jean Paul was in there. I think Jean Paul's ability to connect, to turn, um, what they're doing right now with with Vargas out and you know the the rotating second member of of the pivot back there um, just isn't isn't enough. Uh, Leva didn't do bad defensively, but he doesn't provide what Jean Paulo does. Atencio's played there some. He doesn't provide what Jean Paulo does. Even Roe playing there doesn't provide what Jean Paulo does by any stretch of the imagination. And so what you see, and you, if you if you watch any, like if you go back and watch the games or you look at some of the video, it's really clear. Half the time when Rusnak's coming to get the ball over there, they just double team him. So Rusnak's only play is back to Newton's feet. Exactly. And so you um, see this over, it's just a cycle over and over again. It's what's, it's what's slowing us down and we can't get the ball forward fast enough to be effective and, and have a chance to score. Uh, yeah, definitely. 100%. Um, I want to go ahead and point, I want to go ahead and to talk about the, the win though, this past win. Yeah. Because um, first of all, what a win, because the fact that you can, you can honestly win with 10 men. That's just incredible. <laughs> but you know, the last time that we were together and talked about the Sounders, we also talked about the officiating. And <laughs> I, I mean, can we please agree that that call on Kellen Rowe was not worth a yellow? Okay, I, so I, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be truthfully honest. I don't think it was worth a yellow. And I want to go ahead and give Steve Zakawani a shout out because. Uh, he was he always lives tweet and he says the most shocking yellow I've ever seen in my in my life. Come on, ref, gotta do better. Someone responded to him and said, Roe needs to be smarter there. Players get yellows yes. all the time for hitting the ball away. When you are on a yellow, you don't give a ref an excuse. And I love what Zakawani had to say. He said, nah, not for this. There is time wasting. And then there's mindlessly throwing the ball away in the 46th minute. At most, the ref can talk with him and say, quote, cut it out, unquote. That is not a yellow, a warning at the most. And even what and even that wasn't necessary. And I agree with him. But, you know, I 
still want to kind of put a little criticism on Kellen Road. I mean, you need to be, you definitely need to be a little smarter than that. All right. So but at the, this, but at the, okay. Go ahead. I, let me, go ahead. At, at the same time, at the same time, I don't think, I agree with Steve on this one because I don't think that that was enough to get a yellow card. I don't think it was enough. Um, I, I agree with him. I think that the ref just needs to go up to him and say, you know, hey, you, you need to cut this crap out, play the game. But I don't understand why Kellen Rowe was wasting time at that point. That's the thing. Right. And Mark, your turn. Your turn. <laughs> okay. I know you've been waiting. <laughs> no, no, no. This is this is this is a tough one for me. Okay, this is a really tough one for me. Like we talked a little bit last time when we were talking about the officiating in the Portland match. I am a referee. I've got over a thousand youth games under my belt. I've spent many hours on the soccer pitch. I've called games. I've given people yellow cards and red cards for stuff like this before. Okay. So I've been there. I've looked at this. And I, I think one of the biggest challenges, I want, I want to say two things. I agree with you, but I am going to give the pro officiating the pro, the comp organization that runs this professional referee organization, their viewpoint on this. And I'm going to try to be clear and say why they made the call. Do I think he should have made the call? No. But by the letter of the law, was he correct? Yeah, he was. Now, the letter of the law is not how you apply calls in any soccer game. The FIFA laws of the game are filled with a phrase that referees are, are told to use uh, liberally, and that's in the spirit of the game. You'll see it all over the laws if you read them. Pro is making every effort to push time wasting out of the game. They warn the teams at the start of the year. Hey, we're going to crack down on this. We don't want to see balls going into stands, balls intentionally being tossed off the field, balls played back. They're in MLS Next Pro, the developmental league that Tacoma Defiance are a part of. They have put in rules to... Um, do away with time wasting on injuries. You know, somebody kicks somebody in the ankle and they lay on the ground for three minutes, pretending they're injured, pop up and start to walk away as soon as they get the magic freeze spray, right? They have rules now in MLS Next Pro to try to do away with this. This is a concerted effort not to see this kind of stuff happen. Now, I don't think Roe was wasting time. What he was doing was tossing the ball away because there's another one sitting on the post right there and every team comes to the post to get the ball. It's about four feet up the field from where Rowe threw the ball out. There's no one within 20 yards of him. The ball's right there. I do think the referee needed to take more context, but by the strict definition of the emphasis that Pro has told the teams they're going to do this year, Rowe hit the letter of the law by tossing the ball off the field. I think the context of the stadium, the proximity of the other players, and the ball that's four or five yards up the field says he wasn't doing it. But by the letter of the law, the official was right because the only remedy for that call in the law of the game is a yellow card. All right. If you're going to call it, you have to issue a yellow. All right. You know, that's another good reason why you're a part of this podcast right now because <laughs> thank you. you. Well, you well, you are a referee and you give us that insight and it's and it's really good insight to the to the referee type of world because now we can we can also get a better understanding about that. And you know, dude, Mark, I, I fucking love your takes, man, because you, <laughs> like I, I'm being honest, man. I fucking love your takes because they it's it, they're they're not they're no bullshit freaking takes and they are 
the brutally honest takes, you get to the analytical point of view as well. And the fact that you do the homework, it, 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 I, that's why I say I'm, I, I appreciate that everything that you've been doing and especially you helping out with the podcast because it, it, it makes all, it makes it worthwhile. Thanks, Mike. I've, I, you and I've talked about this. I thoroughly enjoy doing this. I love talking sounders. Um, and it's sounders and then soccer. Uh, this is my team. And, you know, I, I bleed blue and green, just like those who are listening to this. And in the end, I want to see my team win. I want to see them not make stupid plays. I want to see players like Nuhu be successful on the field. I want to see our coaching staff being able to put everyone on that team in a position to win. And I trust that they do that. Um, our players still have to play smart. They can't just toss the ball off the field when they're on a yellow yep. card. They, you know, they, they, um, you know, they, they've, they've got to see where their growth needs are. Um, you know, we're missing pieces this year, and that means adjustments. We're missing pieces this year. That means you can't make stupid plays and get yourself tossed out of a game that you shouldn't get tossed out of. At the same time, this was a really good win. Yeah, it was. Because, I mean, that because was the great. guts that you had a hard time seeing in three straight losses, these boys came out and they played with heart and they played with guts and they beat a team that got them three minutes into the game. Yeah. I mean, that was, right. you know, I'm not going to lie. When I first, you know, when I was watching the game and, you know, they score three minutes in, I'm just like, oh boy, here we go again. And I was, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I mean, I was. <laughs> I've been a little skeptical of this team because of just the struggles that we've had. But again, we we've had the injuries, and that, right. that doesn't that doesn't help the team. I'm not gonna lie that, that that doesn't help the team at all because you need Raul Ruiz Diaz, you need that top scorer in that starting rotation. You need New Who to be that good defender that he, that you know that he can be, and you need everybody to play an important role in the win. And this win was. One of the most impressive wins that I've seen the Sounders win because, again, the fact that they were able to do it a man down uh, was really impressive. I saw, I honestly saw a couple Timber fans saying, if it wasn't for the penalty, you never would have won that game. Mm-mm. Yeah, well, No, yeah, I totally well, disagree. Yeah. No, I, no, I completely disagree with that because the, I'm not going to lie. Even with 10 men, the Sounders outplayed them. Yes. The Sounders outplayed yes. them in every way. And... Look, I'm going to say this to Portland fans. From now on, when the Sounders win, when they have only 10 men down, if they beat you with 10 men, shove it up your ass. <laughs> I'm sorry. Look, we're, we're uncensored, but it's just like yeah. Portland, Portland fans really need to just shut their friggin' mouths, especially when it comes to complaining about. First of all, if they were to win the game two to one down a man and they kick a penalty, they would be celebrating like they just won the CONCACAF title. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Which they don't have. Let's not forget that. Um, so this, by the way, I, wanna... by the way I, I wanted to also tell you, Mark, I, I so I was at Lumen Field a couple weeks ago for the Kenny Chesney concert, and I got to see that CONCACAF title banner in person. And I'm not going to lie. It was kind of bland. I really wish they would have done a little bit more in the design, but it still looks good. Uh, it, it it looks good just because of what it says. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. That's the, the first the, the first why. team ever to do it from MLS in this era. It, it's you know it, it's it's a real Champions League trophy. 
It's not a, oh, yeah. a rinky-dink championship tournament held on your home field like DC United has. It is a real Champions League tournament, similar to what you'd have with you know UEFA Champions League or something like that. It's the real deal. We're the first MLS team to ever do it, and that matters. It's huge. And yeah, it'd be cool if it had a you know sweet design. Let you know, let whoever at ECS designs the TIFOs take a look at it or something and see if they can jazz it up a bit. But in the end, it's what it says that matters, and that we did 100%. it first. Right. Um, so, so I got a quick thought okay. here, just just because I want to mention that. Because let's answer that Portland criticism on that PK. That's a PK in every league, in every game, <laughs> at every time that it occurs. That is an earned PK because Jordan Morris hustled his ass off to get yeah. to that ball before their keeper did. There exactly. is no shame that that goal comes through a PK. That is an earned PK because if he doesn't take Jordan out, that ball's going in the back of the net. Oh my God, hell yeah! I mean, it, it was clear it was going to be a goal no matter what, and instead they take a chance with the PK, and which I I'm not gonna lie, like when I see teams taking a chance with a PK, it's just like, are you really that confident? It's it's because, part of the it's part of the game, right? Oh it's no, the, I, I the uncertainty is better than the certainty, right? And and in the end, like, great. It's not like Portland doesn't get to come back to us and go, oh, you only won because you got a PK. No, you earned that PK. This is not a dodgy PK. This is not a, ooh, maybe that's a handling call or it's not. No, that's a PK. It's a PK every time. I don't care who it is. I don't care what team it is. I don't care if it's Fry doing it to some other team's player. It's a PK. It's the right call. And there's no question about it. There was no review of it. No, you know how you usually see him jumping around going, that's not really a call. That's not really a call. All of the Colorado players are standing around going, crap. It's really clear and evident that that's a PK. Nobody, like, you see these pro players question it all the time. They weren't doing that. They know it's a call. It's really obvious. <laughs> it, it, it's quite funny for me because I really can't stand like what I'm referring. I do not allow a lot of dissent. I don't allow a lot of players talking back to me, questioning calls. Uh, it's one of the things I don't like in the professional game because it bleeds into the youth levels when they see the pros do it. And um, this is not a call that a lot of the Colorado players are questioning. And when you see that, you know that's the, you know it's the right call. You know it's an earned PK, and it is what it is. So Portland, as you said. They can shove it where the sun don't shine. Amen to that. Which is Portland anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I love that one. Um, so one one more thing, okay, okay. because I want to I want to tell you my man of the match for this one. Oh, okay. And, yeah, and, it, is J- and it is J-Mo. Oh, it is Jordan Morris. If, if I mean, that's 100%. Right, I mean, not just the goal, not just the goal in the first half, which was beautiful. Oh my god! But, but he was a terror to Colorado the entire match, and I want to propose to you the reason why, and it goes right back to the things we're talking about. All these, all the losses. One of the biggest keep uh, people or team members that people are shooting at in the Sounders fan groups and the fan pages and the the posts and all that is is Jordan. They're coming at him saying he doesn't look, he's not recovered all the way. He's not coming back strong enough. He doesn't look like he's hustling. No, he's had a player on the left side that can't get in the ball. 
who can't connect with him, who can't play him into space. And look what happens when you get people on the left side of the of the offense getting Jordan the ball in space. He tears defenses apart and he makes things happen. Instead of Nuhu back there, he's got a midfielder who's playing the ball up to him. He's got Rusnak able to play the ball through him and actually facing forward instead of facing backwards for once. And instead of slowing the game down, he's got all this space to play into. And what does he do? He freaking kills Colorado the entire game, even when we were a, a man down. There you go, bro. There he's go. the man of the match. He showed up. He created two goals. Oh, my God. 100%. Um before we get out of here, though, I want to I wanted to talk it to you about this because, you know, this is something that I've always uh, wanted to say on the podcast, but I've never really gotten the point to say it. But you 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 brought up an interesting point of how of how players flop all the time. And now this is now this is the thing that I have with with soccer flopping. Um, you know, if you get hit in the arm and you cover your face please stop you're not winning an academy award i don't care um the flop that neymar had in that last world cup was the worst acting performance since paulie shore in uh biodome and <laughs> that's pretty that's a that's a really 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 high bar to clear <laughs> but this is this is what i have and i'm going to go ahead and say this right now the women are tougher than the men because when you watch men's soccer and you watch women's soccer, the women, they'll be down on the ground for about three seconds. They're back up. Men will be down on the ground crying like they have been shot. And it irritates. Like, I think that's the only thing that irritates me about soccer is the flops. Like, I really wish that the flops would stop. Like, if you, if someone actually punches you in the face, then that's a reason to cover up your face. But not if a bird shits on your head and you act like you just got shot in your foot. So do you, do you want the answer as to why? Because I, I have one. Okay, and, I would love to hear this. Okay, so as the women's game has come to grow and become something that is... Uh, uh, the more and more people watch. There has been one dominant team that has ruled the roost. And that's the U.S. Right? We've won more World Cups than everybody else. We've, we've been in more finals than anybody else. We're at the top of the heap year after year after year after year. And for years, that's been how Americans played soccer. Right? They don't go down. You have to force them down, right? Um, to some degree, that's true even in MLS. I mean, there's, there's. I, I will leave them nameless because I don't want to admit to this other than to just drop it. There's even a couple players like that on Portland that are tough, and they don't go down even when they're hit hard. I'm not going to say who because I don't want to give any more credit than what I just did to that hive of retchery and villainy. Um, <laughs> but in the end, it's very different in the European game. And that's what dominates the men's world, right? You could watch some professional leagues in Spain and see how often they flop, right? You remember Victor Rodriguez, great player. How often did he flop for the Sounders? Oh, my God. Right? Spanish Academy player, okay? France, 
they invented flopping even on the world stage not even talking soccer right i mean in the end that's what the european game does and so it dominates and if you want to succeed in europe you have to be able to flop you think yep. i'm kidding i'm not you watch league one you watch the prem you watch la liga it's a part of the game there now it's interesting to me and i'm really interested to see how fifa at large responds to uh the the new rules that mls next pro is putting into place because if this is successful in cutting out um the flopping at that level, I think you'll see some other tests of it by FIFA worldwide. They've already talked about it a little bit. Um, basically, it's it's almost creating like a penalty system. If, if you're up to, you know, if you if you go down and they have to call somebody on, you're out of the game for a certain amount of time. Um, and, and with some options for the team, like a, a doctor can say, hey, there's, there's an actual injury here uh, and, and alleviate that a little bit. But it's not... It's really interesting what they're doing. I would encourage people to go look it up. I don't have it in front of me, so I can't really comment on the details other than to say I was absolutely floored at what MLS Next Pro is, Pro is trying to do because its intent is to eliminate fouls and flopping uh, or uh, flopping and pretend injuries like you're talking about. Uh, well, so I'm really, I'm really interested to see if this pans out and if FIFA starts to adopt some of this stuff. Because you're right, it's what, like, especially the television viewer hates about the game, right? Um, I, uh, uh, as you know, I, I uh, we, my family and I lived in Washington for 24 and a half years, and I moved from Washington to Tennessee last year to uh, uh, for for a, a job out here that I just couldn't get in Washington, and. Um, uh, I went to the Nashville uh, Sounders game that we lost a couple weeks ago, um, and uh, I watched Hani Mukhtar uh, act like he was going to bed every two seconds on the field. Oh, every time I he was touched, game. he flopped all over the place like a freaking fish out of water. It was so annoying. Or walking out, and I was talking to somebody, you know, like a, a Nashville fan with me. What's with that? That's a pussy. Come on. This is ridiculous. It's awful. Right? Like, he... It was him and CJ Sapong both. Every time somebody even touched them, like it was funny because like, one of them were complaining they couldn't believe none of the Sounders got a yellow card, even though Mukhtar had been had fouls called like 17 times, and the referee never whipped out a yellow card. Why? Because he wasn't sure it was an actually a foul, but he felt like he had to call it because it looked like it was. But it was Mukhtar falling down every time he was touched. That stuff's got to go. I would say yeah. that's a big part of why we lost that Nashville game is because Mutar kept disrupting play by going down on his ass every time somebody stepped on his shoelace. Yep. You know, it's I in agree. the end, like this stuff has got to get out of the game. It will help the entire world game if it does. And the path to doing so is what MLS Next Pro is doing right now. Um, yeah. I, again, I'll maybe next time or something, I'll try to, I'll try to do a little more of the research and be able to go over it. I, I, uh, uh, go over specifically what some of those proposals are, but they just put them into place uh, starting July 1st in MLS and X-Pro. And I'm really interested to see how it pans out and what the feedback on it is. There you go. All righty. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of the podcast. But Mark, I do have to say this, man. The countdown after the end of this podcast is at two. We are two <laughs> shows away from number 100. And I, I'm excited for that, Mike. I am, I am beyond excited, but... Uh, 
I will talk to you next Friday. And here's the thing in one hour, go Sounders. That's right. Go Sounders. All right. Talk to you soon, man. Talk to you soon. And with that, this podcast is coming to an end. Just this podcast, not the not the podcast itself. I'm, I'm not, we're not going to end that. But um, uh, before I actually get out of here, I do want to say something. And um, there's a reason why I'm actually in a in an undisclosed location. I will say this: I I, I actually got on a plane today and left the the state of Washington, and I'm out here. I'm enjoying my time away from like a lot of the BS that's going on like in my life and I'm not going to lie you know when when I originally decided to do this I was just like do I really really want to go out there I'm not saying where I'm at because it's my speak it's my special spot I don't want any of you buttholes to come out here and ruin it for me <laughs> but th- no like I said, I have a fridge full of beer. I have beautiful lake. I have a great dock. I'm going to go fishing right after this. I'm going to go fishing right after this. Because I'm going to see if I can catch dinner. But if I don't catch dinner, don't worry about that. I already got some, I already got some supplies just in case. <laughs> but no, the, the, the point of this trip was just to basically basically go have a staycation you know be alone with my thoughts the only thing I would say that would be better is if I actually did have a humidor with cigars but I did bring some cigars with me so there's a, there's that but um, one thing I do want to say is you know I talked about this last night but us as people we focus too much on ourselves we focus on we are completely uh, some of us are completely focused on social media some of us are completely focused on others and some of us are completely focused on what others do in their life and that's just not smart you know for the past six years of my life I've done a really good job at bettering myself and getting back to to live in life I've done a good job at that I'm just not worrying about anything I'm just enjoying life right now but I can honestly say this next Friday I will well actually um, I'm going to be back in Washington here in a couple days but I just had to get away I love where I'm at right now and it's a specific location but I am not saying where because I don't want anybody to come out here and spoil it for me. I'm, I'm honestly having a fun. I'm honestly having fun out here because this is where I'm at right now is so beautiful. And the only thing that, the only thing that I need is sun, sunscreen and bug spray. That's it. So I got Cause I got to make sure I don't get eaten by those mosquitoes out there. <laughs> but anyway, folks, That is going to do it for this episode of Seattle Sports Diaries. And as we said, the countdown is two. See you next Friday.